0: Okay, so we're going back to the poem. So you've got images of a very ordinary life, a very ordinary house, as you're saying, and you've got this slightly magical, mysterious other that's coming Mm. into the situation. Yeah. So there's these two things going on at the same time. Do you want to say anything about that?
1: Yes, the interior is very domestic. hmm? And the speaker is a, a woman. You could say, if if you want to look at it in a Neoplatonic sort of way, the woman or the speaker is soul, the stranger is spirit, Ah. another level. Mm?
0: Is that something about our spiritual lives that's ordinary and very unordinary at the same time? Mm.
1: Because when I say spirit I'm using the term in the more Neoplatonic sense, something approaching the transcendental, yes? So we could say that the poem represents a sort of mundane preparation, what we have to do on the mundane level, the conditioned level, in order to be ready to receive what we may call a more transcendental experience. But the mundane is the mundane, and the transcendental is the transcendental, and the mundane fears the transcendental, because in a sense the transcendental obliterates the mundane. Hmm? You die. There's a phrase by a Christian mystic that I sometimes quote, reason dies in giving birth to ecstasy.
0: You make it sound very other, that something other is going to happen.
1: Yes. But that other is what you want. Your whole Mm. spiritual life is a preparation for the experience of that other, which is uh, going to annihilate your ego. (laughs) You might say, well in a way you want that, the ego itself wants to be annihilated, it's so uncomfortable with itself, it doesn't like itself anymore. So it tries to open up to something higher. Hmm?
0: So is the spiritual life a lot about preparation?
1: I think it's about preparation all the way. I think you go on preparing up to the last minute. I don't think you can sort of sit back and say, well, I've done the preparation, that's that. No, I think the preparation is going on the whole time.
0: Do you think we understand that as well as we need to?
1: Perhaps not, sometimes. There's a saying which I sometimes quote. Actually, it's uh, attributed to Gandhi. is supposed to have said, the end is the extreme of means. I can see the sense of that. The end is the extreme of means. Hmm?
0: What does that mean?
1: Well, in this context, you say, the preparation is the goal you can't separate the two hmm?
0: yes.
1: it's not that you prepare and then you stop preparing and then you know, you get some sort of result or fruit no in the preparation itself in a sense you experience the end
0: makes me think of um a quote that i was very inspired by when i was a young mitra i think it might have been for santra actually mm. uh, uh, he said the goal of the spiritual life is to always be on the path.
1: Well, it's another way of saying that the path is the goal. Yes. Mm. In a sense, yes. Path is one thing, goal is the other. But one should beware of uh, making too hard and fast a distinctional difference between the two.
0: We're often quite goal oriented aren't we? I think more and more maybe in this world where outcome seems to be very, um, well, desirable, I suppose.
1: Ah, then there's another quote that comes to my mind. It's from Matthew Arnold, I sometimes quote it. I'm not sure if I'm quoting it quite correctly. We want all precious ends, but we'll use no harsh means. (laughs) In other words, we want to get whatever it is on easy terms, as it were. Mm-hmm. We don't want really to put in the necessary work, certainly if the work is a bit demanding and even painful.
0: Mm. Mm. Did you have periods in your own life where you felt you had to do a lot of spiritual work?
1: Well, I there's always uh, spiritual work to do, and it comes up in different contexts and from different angles, you know, depending on where you are at that particular time. No, whether one is meditating or giving lectures or talking with people or just being quiet by oneself. There is always something that one can do, spiritually speaking.
0: And do you articulate that to yourself? So, for instance, in the last couple of years, have you had a sense of your own spiritual project, your own inner project?
1: Hmm. I think for many years my own spiritual project has been inseparable from that of uh, the movement. But of course now I am, so to speak, retired, I have plenty of spare time, and I do look back over my life, over my decades, as you know. <laughs> yes, that is pleasing, it's instructive, it's sometimes eye-opening, and so on. Because the poem speaks of Musing and musing. Yes. Yeah? That musing is an interesting word. It's not reflecting, yeah. it's not thinking, it's musing. Hmm? Sort of contemplative reflecting. And you let the spinning wheel die down, it's not turning over and over anymore. Anyway your mind is at rest
0: it reminds me of a softer approach to reflection you know you're allowing things to turn over in your mind but it's not that you're strongly trying to get somewhere or Hmm.
1: yes turning over in your mind Mm. and just looking at them in a gentle sort of way yes looking at it as a whole or generalizing the the poem seems to be about preparation receptivity openness to some higher or further experience which you don't know a lot about but uh, which you need to be open to. Mm -hmm. So there's trust but there's also fear. You're not afraid of the stranger in the ordinary sense. When you think that he's coming for you Mm -hmm. and he's not going to be the stranger forever then there's that little tremor of uncertainty or fear, like that of the old-fashioned bride on her wedding night.